boy, so many headlines. I, I hope somebody's digging into this new $3 trillion bill that Nancy Pelosi has thrown out there. Oh, yeah, we're a-digging. Okay, so we'll have yes. some of that coming up in a little bit. But uh, there was an announcement today. The biggest university system, public university system in America, is not going to have classes uh, on campus in the fall. It's going to be all online. 23 different campuses, all online. And so I just saw Democrats are proposing some sort of money to make sure all college students have Internet. So what is that going to cost we to the taxpayer to uh, provide uh, Internet for every possible college student that exists? And do you have to prove that you didn't have Internet? Right. And if you do have Internet, you'd be a fool not to disconnect it. Then have the that exactly the the taxpayers pay for it. You're paying thirty thousand dollars a year for tuition and board and everything like that. Ah, you don't have socialism. The fifty dollars a month for internet. Come for the incredible expense. Stay for the brutal unfairness. Anyway, socialism. More on that later. So uh, what I think should be a giant story, but unfortunately isn't that much, is all that paperwork that came out late last week, letting us know there's a lot more to the origin of the whole Russia collusion story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, God, I know you, a lot of you are sick of talking about it. I'm sick of I didn't want it to burble back up and be a thing, but this is the other side of the story. This is the, how the hell did this all start? How did, how did we spend three years of our lives on this? And why? Well, and was it handled in a way that we as a free people can, ha- can stomach, can accept, or were there grotesque violations of our rights by the federal government. A number of senators, particularly that are upset by this information, want to do some digging, including uh, Rand Paul. I don't believe any of this could have happened without President Obama. I completely believe that not only did he know, and others have already said that he knew about the conversation, he knew about trying to go after General Flynn, and that it was being directed from the White House. So I have every expectation that President Obama is in the middle of this, but I think it's worse. I think you go back to Operation Crossfire Hurricane, the whole fake dossier and all of the stuff, all of the FISA warrants that were, I think, improperly and illegally gotten started on the Trump campaign. I really strongly believe that President Obama gave specific and direct oversight and direct permission for this. That wow, is that's a heck of a charge. What did the president know and when did he know it? Rand Paul is saying, I got a real good idea what he knew and when he knew it. Well, it was his idea. Right. He started the whole thing and he knew everything because he started it or, or at least directed it. So this, this, this part of the story is getting no traction most places. Um, I know I've said this a thousand times in the last several years, but this is another level of I can't believe there's a story this big that we're this divided on, that that there's this little sharing of the information going on. Um, The Wall Street Journal, though, and they're heavyweights. They're a big deal. They're fully invested into this. We read uh, a piece from their editorial board earlier. Here's another one. All the Adam Schiff transcripts is the headline. Newly released documents show he knew all along that there was no proof of Russia-Trump collusion. I'm going to read some of this. It's a little long, but their conclusion, I think, is really interesting, given the fact that I've seen Adam Schiff's face a hundred times on cable TV in the last four days. Americans expect that politicians will lie, but sometimes the examples are so brazen that they deserve special notice. Newly released congressional testimony shows that Adam Schiff spread falsehoods shamelessly about Russia and Donald Trump for three years, even as his own committee gathered contrary evidence. The House Intelligence Committee last week released 57 transcripts of interviews it conducted in its investigation into Russia's meddling, blah, 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 you know all that. 
Uh, most of the transcripts were ready for release long ago, but Mr. Schiff oddly did not want them released. Now we know why. From the earliest days of the collusion narrative, Mr. Schiff insisted that he had evidence proving the plot. In March of 2017 on MSNBC, Schiff teased that he couldn't go into particulars, but there's more than circumstantial evidence now. I remember that day. I remember what a bombshell that was. I remember Brian Williams talking about it. In December 2017, he told CNN that collusion was uh, provable. Um, None of this was true, and Mr. Schiff knew it. They, They give a whole bunch of other examples. None of this was true, and Mr. Schiff knew it. In July 2017, here's what former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper told Mr. Schiff and his colleagues. I never saw any direct empirical evidence that the Trump campaign or someone in it was plotting slash conspiring with the Russians to meddle with the election. Three months later, uh, Obama Attorney General Loretta Lynch agreed that while she'd seen concerning information, I don't recall anything being briefed up to me. Let me rewind uh, back to Clapper briefly. So that was in mid-2017 or so? Did you say July? He made a career on cable news after that for years, hinting darkly that what he'd seen of collusion troubled him greatly. So anyway, he had nothing. He he had all this testimony because that's the uh, the eight, the uh, uh, committee that he's on. So he had all this testimony from pencil neck shift. You mean? Yeah, yeah. From from Clapper and the Attorney General uh, Lynch, and then the, the the former Deputy AG Sally Yates, all saying no, we don't we, we don't see anything. There's nothing there. Blah blah blah. And the Wall Street Journal wraps up with this. The Wall Street Journal, for crying out loud, their editorial board. The question we'd ask our friends in the media is, when are they going to stop playing the fool by putting Adam Schiff on the air? Mr. Schiff is a powerful figure with access to secrets the rest of us don't have and can't check. He misled the country repeatedly on an issue that consumed American politics. President Trump often spread... I like this, because this shows they're not just in the bag for Trump. President Trump often spreads falsehoods and invents facts, but at least he's paid a price for it in media criticism and public mistrust. An industry full of media fact-checkers is dedicated to parsing his every word. As for Mr. Schiff, no one should ever believe another word he says. Wow. The Wall Street Journal says you should never believe another word the chair of the Intelligence Committee says. Yet he was on cable news all weekend long and had probably been on a couple of shows today. There are a number of tentacles to this that we have to take a look at, including the, I almost said bizarre, but it's actually very clear, email written and sent on the final hour of Susan Rice's uh, time as National Security Advisor. Uh, Maybe you've heard about this, maybe you haven't, but I have the specifics of it. And it is utterly, utterly clear what's going on here. It is hilariously clear. I'll hit that in 60 seconds. Quick word from our friends at Simply Safe, who will offer you the best of every home security system you've ever heard. The doorbell alerts, the cameras, the motion sensors, everything you want in a security system. Um, even smoke and that sort of thing. But without all the negatives, like the long contract or the expensive installation or whatever. This is the best overall home security system of 2020, according to U.S. News and World Report. You order it online, you set it up yourself in under an hour. How does that sound? That's easy, too. I've done it. Your home is protected 24-7 with emergency dispatch for break-ins, fire, and more. All about 50 cents a day. No long contracts, as Joe said. And uh, free shipping and a a 60-day risk-free trial. So there is no way you can go wrong here to get the best overall home security of 2020, according to U.S. News & World Report. And understand, you're not giving anything up 
over the traditional system. It's all upside. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong to get that 60-day risk-free trial and free shipping. Simply is spelled S-I-M-P-L-I. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong so they know you heard from us. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Oh, yeah, and I, I left out my favorite quote from Britt Hume yesterday who has said, is the worst journalistic fiasco of my more than 50-some years in journalism the way the media has handled uh, all, all these revelations, the whole Russiagate thing and right. everything that we've learned in the last few days. Well, I think they do it with a clean conscience because they see themselves as part of the resistance. And and, and listen, I'm, you know, if I see myself as fighting a war, I'm concentrated on the other side. I'm not going to shoot my own people. And, and Susan Rice and Barack Obama and James Comey, they're my people, says the American media, completely throwing away the principles that, you know, built... Uh, some great, great journalistic enterprises. Anyway, so Susan Rice was the uh, national security advisor for Barack Obama during his uh, the latter years of his couple of terms. And, and she did something very, very strange on the very morning of the inauguration. The last thing she did on that day was to write an email. Um. Part of the email is classified, but the unclassified part reads as follows. On January 5th, now this is a couple of weeks later now, on January 5th, following a briefing by IC leadership on Russian Russian hacking during the election, President Obama had a brief follow-on conversation with FBI Director Comey, Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates in the Oval Office. Vice President and I were also present. Uh, So Biden was there, it's worth remembering. President Obama began the conversation by stressing his continued commitment to ensuring that every aspect of this issue is handled by the intelligence and law enforcement communities, quote, by the book. The president stressed that he is not asking about initiating or instructing anything from a law enforcement perspective. He reiterated that our law enforcement team needs to proceed as it normally would by the book. So first, prompted by nothing that anybody can see, she made a statement in writing that, oh, that meeting a couple of weeks ago, uh, they told us, don't break any rules, don't break any laws, and and we did everything by the book, and everything was perfect in writing, I want this in writing, Um, and nobody knows why she wrote that. Well, any parent knows why she wrote that. I I mentioned this earlier, it's like your four-year-old comes into the room and says, I didn't steal any cookies. I mean, that's what Susan Rice was doing. Nobody asked you whether at this meeting nobody knew about everything had been, uh, the president had demanded it all be by the book. Why are you telling us this? The four-year-old could explain it because they got a belly full of cookies. And then another aspect of this that I find very interesting is uh, she goes on to write, from a national security perspective, however, however, President Obama said he wants to be sure that as we engage with the oncoming team, we're Mindful to ascertain if there's any reason that we cannot share information fully as it relates to Russia. The president asked Comey to inform him if anything changes in the next few weeks that should affect how we share classified information with the incoming team. Comey said he would. So what we have is Susan Rice, to cover her own butt, writing a memo saying, Me, Comey, Biden, Sally Yates had a meeting... Obama made it clear that he has suspicions that Trump's in with the Russians and that we, the national security team, should keep our mouths shut about Russia to them, to whatever extent we thought was appropriate. And uh, everything is being done uh, exactly by the book. Extremely suspicious. But that we only have known about that meeting now for a couple of days. Though, Correct. Right? Yep. 
That's that's uh, yeah. the one that Biden said he <clears throat> didn't know anything about until he was told you did know about it, and then he said he didn't know about it. Yeah, the uh, Senator Grassley and Graham, Senators, obtained the email from the National Archives by requesting records of meetings between the president and, and, and Comey. Um, <clears throat> and, and that memo came to light because it was about the meeting, which had been held uh, two weeks prior. So Ed Henry on Fox News yesterday said, and then we'll move on to this to something else, but Ed Henry, uh, Ed Henry says he's talking to sources, who knows if this turns out to be true or not, that say um, uh, Brennan, former CIA director, is coming in for a, 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 a kicking, that there's information going to come out that he really suppressed information that the Russians were interested in Hillary getting elected. Mm, he, he, interesting. <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting. Oh, do we have a clip of that or... Maybe later, I don't know. But. Oh, okay. All right. Um, uh, der, oh, and one more aspect of this. The unmasking of the names of people being investigated, which is highly illegal. Well, it's there are a very limited number of people who can unmask the names of Americans caught up in intelligence investigations, and it is extremely illegal to release those names for political purposes. Well, somebody got more names unmasked than, than it ever happened before, including Susan Power, the U.N. ambassador, who, when asked about it, seemed shocked and unaware that that had happened under her name, which is a very odd aspect of this, but... The Department of Justice now knows who ordered the unmasking, but they're deciding whether to unmask the names of those who asked for the unmasking. I would have thought they'd said, yes, hell yes, we're going to let you know who did that. And I think they absolutely should. But for some reason, they're holding back on that. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping the media wakes up and puts enough pressure on um, the current Justice Department to get that done. And listen, I know a lot of you young are uncomfortable with this fact, but if the, the WAPO and the New York Times and the, the Alphabet Networks and the crappy, crappy cable news networks aren't awake on a story and not pushing for it, there's just not quite enough weight to get government hacks and bureaucrats to uh, to cooperate. So we're hoping that weight is building to the point where people in both parties are concerned about an utterly out-of-control FBI and intelligence service spying on American citizens and violating the Constitution. You'd think they would be. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. As a parent of school-aged children, I was horrified to hear there are even discussions of not starting school again in the fall. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it depends where you are, but there are lots of discussions. Oh, I mean, California State University system announced that. No classes in the fall. That's college kids. That's not, you know, snot-nosed little uh, nine-year-olds running around smearing their goo on each other. Spreading every disease known to man and some unknown in this galaxy every day at school. We 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 miss another whole half a year or whatever. We're going to get into some serious. People are way behind and oh yeah, yeah. All the curricula will have to be redesigned. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it could be crazy. Uh, what percentage do you figure your kids are learning compared to if they are at school? I don't actually know because I'm not home while it's happening, but. Hmm. God, if it's 50%, I would be surprised. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, folks have designed their lives around 
you know, schools educating their kids. I know my college kid is busting her butt right now because it's finals and final projects and stuff. Um, and it, it, it's kind of too bad because she's only home for a few more days and she's going back to her, uh, her uh, college town. If, if I was going to throw out a guess for the, for the, uh, grade school situation, maybe a third. Mm, interesting. That I'm ain't sure much. that would vary family to family from zero to. Oh, yeah, I know a family. They're getting 100% because, I mean, she is a she is a tiger mom and she is a busting bees. I mean, their yeah. kids are they're doing like recess. I mean, the full schedule and everything like it. But we are not. And I don't think most people are. Got this note from uh, Al Anonymous. I'll keep him anonymous. Uh, being a teacher in this Zoom time, I have to note how poorly a lot of schools have handled it. I think I've been saved working at a private school, as I've heard many of my public school friends going through endless training and regulations of what video casting into someone's house entails. Some have abandoned the pursuit altogether, reducing their classes to weekly hard copy packets sent home to kids. I think that's a perfectly okay idea. I had not considered some of this. That's why I thought you know it would be interesting to share with you all. Video conferencing has raised all kinds of problems for the government-run schools. On the one hand, teachers are viewing private spaces where they may see illegal drug use, abuse, other activities that the public schools have been scrambling out to how to figure to address. Uh, how do I react? How does a teacher react if they see a mom in the background paddling her kid with a wooden spoon? Um, and then he talks about the difficulty of keeping the, the kids engaged and everything. Uh, we can not, not absolutely not do one-on-one stuff. As a male teacher, can you imagine the accusations I've opened oh, myself up geez. to? Yeah, I know it. I know it. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. idea of having treatments available or a vaccine to facilitate the re-entry of students into the fall term would be something that would be a bit of a bridge too far. But if we keep kids out of school for another year, what's going to happen is the poor and underprivileged kids who don't have a parent that's able to teach them at home are not going to learn for a full year. I think we better be careful if we are not cavalier in thinking that children are completely immune to the deleterious effects. Dr. Fauci, you didn't, you didn't say you shouldn't go back to school. I did not mean to imply at all any relationship between the availability of a vaccine and treatment and our ability to go back to school. Although there was a different dude during the day. Who was he, a CDC guy, whatever he was, who, who suggested going back to school might not be a good idea. Right, yeah. Um, and I, I didn't even considered the idea that my kids might not be going back to school in the fall. And as Rand Paul pointed out, We'd be looking at missing a full year of school. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> that's going to have an effect. There, I don't know what you do. I don't know how you handle that. Um, one thing Rand Paul pointed out at one point with Fauci is we can't have a national plan for this. It's got to be school district by school district. And I would say that's true for the reopening and then for how you integrate kids back into school because depends on your population and all kinds of different things. And, you know, different schools shut down at different times and all that. But. Man, if you're out of school for a full year, you can't just immediately leap to the next grade. Right. Obviously, that's not possible. Well, unless all of the curricula are rejiggered to reflect the fact that fourth graders now have a third grader's uh, understanding or, hmm. you know, or, or a graduating second grader's understanding. Right, but you do have to jam in at some point a full year of school. Unless you think some of that stuff wasn't 
necessary in the first place. In or which we'll case, just, why are we teaching it? But we'll ask smart sixty-five-year-olds to stay in the uh, in in like uh, well, like fifty-five years from now. We'll just have to ask them to stay in the workforce one more year because the generation of kids who missed a year are like one year <laughs> short of taking over. So. It will take a Well, I'm slide. just thinking about it. With We're gra- America, ja- damn it, Jack. It would vary from age to age. Like, I know second grade is really the big year for uh, learning to read. That would be a heck of a year to miss an entire year of school. But third, mm-hmm. fourth grade, what is that? Remainders? We can we can just <laughs> forget that whole remainders thing, or, right? You know, Everybody's got a smart watch now. You're a junior in high school. You miss a whole year. from. I don't know. I don't know how they'll do it. Yeah. Well, we will figure it out, and by we... I mean, the private sector to to uh, finish the note from Al Anonymous, the teacher who is struggling with the whole Zoom thing, um, and he's having a hell of a lot better time than his public school colleagues are. He says, private industry shines again as we were able to roll out distance learning far more quickly. And while not perfect, it's at least doing something to address the fact that over a 100 students at our school aren't able to come. We also meet as a staff weekly to try to improve things. Um, he also says he has a ton of funny stories about what it's like to, with a bunch of kids forced to sit in a Zoom classroom. We would love to hear them, Al, but you know, I'm reminded of uh, Frederick Bastiat's great quote, the most urgent necessity is not that the state should teach, but that it should allow education. All monopolies are detestable, but the worst of all is the monopoly of education. I believe that to my bones. I do understand <clears throat> that uh, the public school teachers are under way different uh, constraints, requirements, all that sort of stuff than the private schools are. And it's, oh, yeah. It wouldn't be easy. Oh, no, no, no. It's In, in fact, it's nearly impossible because... I've had a number of people well, hint things to me. Huh? And I don't... The, 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 the people that let are in the know that hint things to me. and But they won't say them out loud. Are they so... Uh, is it so... I don't know what it would be, so exciting or awful or what, that you got to hint things at. They're, they're being told not to do much of that. I've had a few different people in the orbit of knowing what's going on mm-hmm. say that sort of thing, and I just, I don't Does know Does it have to about. do with the whole, because we can't teach every single yes. kid, we're not allowed yeah. to teach any kids yes. anything? Yes. yes, it's that thing. Well, there's uh, Bastiat and your, your monopoly on education. How horrific is that? This is all wrong. I should be back in school. Well, I agree, sweetheart, for once. Um, <laughs> it, well, and it, it, it reminds me very much of the trend uh, where we get fixated on one issue or one problem, like the coronavirus as opposed to education and the economy and the deaths of despair and the deaths of people not getting medical care because of the coronavirus and the rest of it. We become fixated on just the one single thing. And... And as a listener put it, my favorite metaphor so far from this response is we have driven a car full of people into a ditch to avoid. We don't know. Was it a squirrel? Was it a cat, a dog, uh, a human being? But are are driving the economy and our society into a ditch to avoid hitting the coronavirus. It is not clearly a good decision. It probably for a little while was. I'll let you argue about that. But the idea that we have to now keep the car in the ditch, lest another squirrel run across the street ahead, I mean, that's just craziness. But, of course, to return to my gripe of earlier this morning, the mainstream media has to make everything into a conflict. We were talking quite a bit earlier about the the main narrative, the headline out of the the big uh, Senate hearing yesterday, that Dr. Fauci warns it could be incredibly dangerous. To open the economy too soon. 
when what Fauci actually said is, listen, I'm paid to worry about the disease. That's all I'm paid to worry about. There are economics experts and business experts and education experts who are weighing in, and we all give our advice, and the policymakers make policies. And you don't, don't just ask me. Ask all of them. But then, of course, you have almost exclusively Democrats and media people say, we're going to go with science and data, which means Dr. Fauci is the only person we're going to listen to. And it's just ridiculous. Speaking of fake controversies, this was so dumb. I didn't even notice it when it happened, really. I'm unaware of it. Other than that it was you know, kind of feisty in the way that Trump sometimes gets at the press conferences. But uh, this uh, gal, she happens to be Asian-American, which factors into the story, though it shouldn't, was grilling him uh, about, well, a couple of things. I think it'll be self-evident. Um, we'll hear the question and the answer, and it gets a little testy. But then the part you're absolutely going to love is freaking CNN the way they handled it. But clip 60 first, Sean. I said many times that the U.S. is doing far better than any other country when it comes to testing. Yes, why does that matter? Why is this a global competition to you if everyday Americans are still losing their lives and we're still seeing more cases every day? Well, they're losing their lives everywhere in the world. And maybe that's a question you should ask China. Don't ask me. Ask China that question, okay? When you ask them that question, you may get a very unusual answer. Yes, behind you, please. What, sir, why are you saying that to me specifically? I'm telling you, I'm not saying it specifically to anybody. I'm saying it to anybody that would ask a nasty question like that. That's not a nasty question. Please go ahead. Why does it matter? And so it ended. (laughs) Why would you ask me in particular? She said, well, you're the one who asked the question. But, well, CNN got hold of this. And you probably don't know this, but the George Costanza looking uh, dude on there, Brian Stelter, he's their alleged like down the middle, even handed media critic. He is the leftiest hack on the channel, masquerading as some sort of even handed critic, is, which is, is he hilarious. The one that Tucker Carlson calls a eunuch all the time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't know reason, whether don't... he has testicles or, an, or a penis or I, not. I think it's because it is striking resemblance to Varys from Game of Thrones. Oh, is, I think that's what it is. That's right. what it is? Yeah. 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 It, it was, is striking. I assume every man I meet has testicles. But so the, the uh, utterly intellectually incapacitated Wolf Blitzer and the eunuch were discussing this. Oh, uh, I didn't know that's why Tucker abuse. called him that. What, a, what an odd thing to do. <laughs> odd but amusing. <laughs> anyway. I think what we saw in that exchange with Weezer Zhang is something that has racial overtones. Uh, it is racist to look at an Asian-American White House correspondent and say, ask China. This isn't happening in a vacuum. This is part of a pattern of behavior from the president that goes back many years. So he's, he doesn't have the benefit of the doubt that someone might have if, for the first time ever in their life, they made a comment like that to a reporter. The pattern suggests a racial reaction to certain individuals in the press corps. I tell you what, if I had to try that hard at my job, I'd be exhausted. And I'm not exhausted. What a load of crap. As, because that's the first and only time Trump ever said, yeah, why don't you look to China for why all these people are dying? It was only because she's Asian-American. So, are you freaking kidding me? What what color is the sky in your people's world? So I, I now understand a comment I saw from Jonah Goldberg on the Twitter, and it's about the first part of that, not the racial part, but where she's... Trump's up there talking about how we now have more tests, you know, going in anybody else. And she says, why does this have to be a global competition? 
and Jonah Goldberg, who does not like Trump. But he said, so before it was, why can't we keep up with the rest of the world? And then once we pass them, it's, why does it have to be a competition? Right. Exactly right. Talk about a no-win situation. Yeah, because because you, and I mean you and people like you, have been hammering the president about not having as many tests per capita as other countries. Uh, That's why, sweetheart. Good Lord, the dishonesty. Or, Or are they just delusional? I don't know. I don't know. Ideology makes you think. Interesting thing. It does, but, indeed, yeah. Um, I want to throw this question out there because I actually personally want to know, if you're parenting kids in school and doing the Zoom stuff, what percentage of full-on school do you think you're getting out of it? Whether it's because of the way the school does it or you know how good a job you're doing on your end, what percentage do you think you're doing? I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm doing that good. But our uh, text line is 415-295-KFTC, 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Check this out. I read that a growing number of churches might start doing drive-in services. It's nice going to church, but super obvious when you try to sneak out early. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I throw out the question just because I'm wondering for my own self, our own uh, household, what percentage of um, uh, a regular school do you think your, your kids are getting out of this? Whether it's you know because of the limitations of the Zoom class, limitations of what the teacher's doing, or the limitations on your end, because some of the limitations are on my end. I got mm-hmm. The, the, the me struggling to get him on to the uh, the Zoom cello lesson. It's a different, for whatever reason, it's a different platform with a different um, uh, login and password and stuff like that. And I just never can get in the right stuff in the right place anyway. So but that was on my end. Um, anyway, we got this one. Uh, we've gotten a couple of responses. And I was saying, I'm thinking we're getting about 30%. Uh, of full-on school, you combine all the the limitations. My kids are getting about twenty-five percent of the education they would normally get at school. Says this listener. So I guess I'm not that far of an outlier with those people. I'm getting ten percent. My first grader believes she's smarter than me and has refused to help since day one. We would argue and cry, so I finally gave up. <laughs> I uh, had her get on the computer for thirty to sixty minutes each day by herself, but I don't help anymore. <laughs> Wow. She's the smartest in the class, but good Lord, I hope she maintains most of what of that in, when it comes next year. So self-motivated, I guess. Just yeah. Really. Okay, do it, do it the way you want to do it then. Well, and there are plenty of homeschoolers who are doing an outstanding job, but their lives are set up that way. They have the ability, the intent, et cetera. Right. Not everybody can do that. Right. So this is not some sort of backhanded way to impugn homeschooling, as a lot of progressives do, because they believe the government must indoctrinate your child. My freshman in high school is uh, maybe getting 10% of what they would normally get in school. I'm working from home and don't have time or energy to babysit him and make sure he does his assignments. I've told him if he fails, he fails, and he'll have to deal with the consequences of that. Okay. Fine life lesson. Um, I'm trying to find anybody who's like, you know, above 50%, but I didn't get any responses. I thought I'd get more braggarts about it. No, we're doing fine. Because I know a few families that are doing great, mm-hmm. partially because of um, um, just the ability of the students and the parents to like really be on top of it all day long, which is great if you can do it. 
Yeah, I know. I know one uh, one household man. They're doing full like they've got the day uh, laid out like a regular school day. In the morning, we're going to do this for an hour. We're going to do this for an hour. Then we're going to do recess. Then we're going to have lunch. Then we're going to do that. That's fantastic. We are not doing that. Mm. And uh, and my kids will never be able to read or write because of it, most likely. Well, that's shame. Yeah. Signing their name with an X. Exactly. Grunting. <laughs> Swapping goods for goods because they don't understand money. All right. <laughs> yeah, no concept whatsoever. Uh, interesting note here from, uh, we'll just go out anonymous. Everybody's so paranoid these days. I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but. Uh, I'm listening to the conversation about schools. I work in the uh, Lake Tahoe area as a special education teacher, and we had experimented with having students learn digitally on snow days last year. When this all happened, we were ready to go and continue to maintain current levels as much as possible. Uh, Many districts have decreed that no new material will be taught and that grades will not change. And I believe these factors will hurt the oh, children right. more than the limitations right. of distance learning. I've, I've heard that declared. No new material will be taught. Right. What is that? Well, and as we've discussed before, the attitude of a lot of public schools that if one child cannot be taught, then no children will be taught. Um, once students find out that grades do not decrease, i.e. not working does not make me fail, attendance and participation plummeted. The only kids that show up are the ones whose maturity is such that they were getting A's prior to the shutdown anyway. The kids we need to help the most aren't showing up. This is a state and or district decision, not a school or individual teacher decision. I mentioned in one staff meeting when someone remarked about the decreasing student participation, this is why communism fails. If there are no rewards for working and no penalties for not working, you get, well, the crumbling of communism. And they're seeing that played out in the in the distance learning thing. Thanks for the note there, Al. I'm Interesting. A pro- uh, text. I'm a professor. No way students are even getting 50% of what they should. It's a mess. Now, I don't know if he's commenting on he's a professor at uh, university or if it's a professor commenting on, like, grade school. I don't know. But uh, my second grader is getting about a 40%, uh, I think, of the education. That's the highest number I've seen from anybody. This person says 25%. Um, uh, this one I haven't read yet. Two percent, seriously, less than five percent. It's a <laughs> it's a combination of having a student that is a very resistive to school. Yeah, that that hurts. And both parents now working full time because of COVID. Teacher isn't providing Zoom classes, so I'm on my own getting them to do their paperwork. Mm. Yeah, we're our our current system is, I think it's thirty five minutes Monday, then thirty five minutes Wednesday, then thirty five minutes Friday. That's the Zoom schedule. Mm, that's it. That's it. And I don't know why it's not more than that. I don't really know. But that's what it is. Now, there's quite a few assignments that you're doing and turning in on Google Docs, and they're getting graded to that sort of way. So there's there's plenty of schoolwork doing to it. But mm-hmm. the actual face-to-face is not that much. Maybe yeah. it's because it doesn't seem like... It's that productive. I don't have any idea. I don't, I don't have any need just because the technology exists to have everybody get together on a screen. Right. Right. I hear you. So we've been talking about this a fair amount, and if you've been listening the entire show, number one, God bless you, thank you, uh, but apologies for r- repeating ourselves. But w- what's making me slash us just insane during this whole COVID-19 Chinese bat fever thing is the media's idiotic oversimplification of the questions of, you know, opening versus reopening, just to oversimplify it ourselves. There are so many competing interests, as they say at the Supreme Court or whatever, There are so many costs and benefits interwoven. 
Don't just shout at me that we're going to reopen based on science and data. All that me that's code for all we do is listen to epidemiologists. What about educators? How about the costs to the children in learning? How about the cost to society in getting them to catch up to speed? How about the costs to people who are not getting cancer screenings, even though they have a lump that scares them? What about the costs as people are on, uh, are they're unemployed, they're, they've lost their purpose, they get addicted? It is so much more complicated, and I, I have a pretty good idea you people can handle that more complicated discussion. But we keep being fed the for idiots only version by even your alleged egg-headed mainstream media. And it's just frustrating. It's, it's, well, it's just so dumb. And, and I think especially as you get down to the county level and to a lesser extent, the, uh, at lesser extent, the state level, these decisions can be made in a pretty smart way that balance the fear of the, the Chinese bat fever versus the likelihood of kids being damaged versus the likelihoods of old folks dying in the old folks home and, 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 you know, with all the other factors interwoven. We cannot drive the car into the ditch and kill everybody in it to avoid hitting a rock that could conceivably kill a couple of people in it. And I feel like that's what we're doing. And, and it's being led by the bonehead media. Well, I'll tell you what, taking all these texts about what percentage you think your kid's getting out of school and the numbers being as low as they are, um, that's, uh, that's shocking to me. That's a problem. Right. And let's talk about this without mentioning the orange man, okay? It's not about him. It's about all of us. Armstrong and Getty.